When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Is This Real Life, a podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of pop culture and reality TV to our own lives. This is your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. This week's episode features my friend and creator of Soloish, a blog on the Washington Post about single life, Lisa Bonos. We're first going to do a recap of The Bachelor. Then I'm going to do a little bit about Vanderpump Rules, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and a small bit on Summer House before we get into the final interview with Lisa, getting to know her just a bit better. Thank you so much for joining. Just a reminder to subscribe on iTunes and you can follow on social media at ITRL underscore podcast. Hi, everyone. I am here with Lisa Bonos. Hi. Um, she is the creator of Soloish at the Washington Post, which is a blog about single life. And she's also been my friend for about 10 years. It's hard to believe it's been that long. I know. And we've recently started doing uh, Shabbat dinners with a couple other friends once a month, which has been a ton of fun. Yeah. And also, like, discussing some reality TV together. So is The Bachelor the only reality show you watch? Really? Yes. So I do this because it's my job to watch things like The Bachelor because I write about about single life and dating and relationships. And I work in the style section of The Washington Post. So it's the section where we cover entertainment Mm -hmm. and TV and movies and, and all of that. So if there's a show that is on my beat, I kind of have to watch it. Even before I started watching The Bachelor, I, I thought about watching just because I wanted to be able to understand Twitter on Monday nights because they didn't, all the conversation. Oh, you felt yeah. left out. I felt totally left out. That's what how I started. Lisa is also a, uh, what do you call it? Someone who's very good at puns. Oh, it's a, a punster. A punster. A punster. You know that if I, <laughs> if I were on The Bachelor, 
I would just be puns all the time. Well, that would probably be your profession that was listed, right? They, you know, I wouldn't, I couldn't be a journalist. I mean, I feel like they don't, they, a lot of times when they find someone really like clever and funny, they give them like a silly job. Like the person who was a chicken in I know. I am not a waboom, though. I mean, you can't put no. me in that. No, I can't believe you think I put you in the same category as waboom. No, I'm talking about like um, Kelly, what's her name? No, I remember the, the ch- tea who's like super into dogs. And that one wasn't that funny, though. The um, dolphin chick. Yes, I mean, yes. I'm loving the taxidermy enthusiast. That's awesome. Like, I'm sure she has another job. I hope so. I think taxidermy's her hobby. Yeah. Which is a pretty awesome hobby. Yeah, but she's got something else, right? So, speaking of taxidermy and being in the woods, we saw a little bit of being in the woods this uh, episode going to Lake Tahoe. And it starts out with a one-on-one date with Sien, who I believe is actually the most gorgeous woman on the season and potentially ever in the history of the franchise. I think she's so stunning. Yeah, they just seem so awkward together, though. I feel like she's in a different sort of league mentally than him. Is she the one who went to Yale? I think so. And, and he it's was not, like, wow, I barely graduated from high school and you went to <laughs> Yale. Like, I don't yeah. think he's stupid. And it's not that she's smart because of where she went to school. She just seems to be very perceptive to the world around her. And he seems to not be perceptive. And so yeah. the, like, scene that juxtaposed is is pretty jarring. And Sien said uh, something that I actually thought was really smart, which she said... I don't want to get ahead of myself because then I'll get disappointed. And I feel like which that's is the, enti- which the is most the relatable happens, thing right? about dating in general. Yeah. That's what I tell myself. That's why I'm never excited about anyone. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't want to get disappointed. So, But at some point, you just have to be vulnerable. I mean, why? It used to be that they all talked about the journey that they were going on that was sort of the word yeah. and now I feel like the word is vulnerable you have to open up and be vulnerable it's like who's feeding them that word therapists everywhere and, <laughs> and the producers I mean I do the word the vulnerability as a concept is something that's in the ether more now you look at like Brene Brown's mm-hmm. motivational speaking and her talks on vulnerability it's definitely something that is talked about not just on The Bachelor, but I have noticed that, yes, it's there a lot. I didn't... I I feel like journey is still there, but maybe I haven't really been paying attention to that. It's one of those words in journalism that we try not to use because it's so cliche. Oh my gosh, what other words are you not supposed to use in journalism? There's just a... I have this old editor of mine who's a big mentor, and he made like a, a long list of words that shall not appear in the section that we worked on together and I still sort of adhere to as much of that as possible but I was talking to him today and he like pointed out two words that I said in a conversation that appear on that list and I'm just like come on I'm allowed to <laughs> <laughs> I can speak in cliches occasionally it be right funny if there was a list of words you weren't allowed to use on the bachelor and they had to try and do one episode with just not saying journey or foundation or like I don't know, well, vulnerability. <laughs> I mean, the, the lead can't say the big L word back to anyone. Usually. Well, a few of them have. I, they have, up. but, you know. 
That's on the do not say list. That's true. And they never seem to discuss politics or religion, which makes me wonder if people who wait to get to the, you know, one-on-one fantasy suites, if, like, I would just close the door and be like, so who did you vote for? (laughs) That's Mandy Slutskar, who lives in Washington, D.C., and works in health policy. Like, not everyone is like that. Um, But on Rachel Lindsay's season... Was it her season of The Bachelorette? Or no. Sorry. When she was on Nick's season of The Bachelor and on her hometown date with Nick, they went to church mm-hmm. in Dallas and they had a conversation about faith. And yeah, that's true. I thought, and like, I loved I the way her preacher that. said something, like singled Nick out and said like, do not hurt her. <laughs> you hurt her. You hurt the community. And it was like, it was like, I don't know. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, it's really interesting. Speaking of Rachel, so as a black woman, CN seems to acknowledge this mm-hmm. in a way that I thought was really profound, but yet very simply stated, where she just said, you know, they don't tell a lot of stories about people that look like me falling in love and happy, having their happy ever after. And I really, I liked that. And I thought back and I thought, wow, like there really aren't a lot of love stories told about black women. Yeah, but then positive I, looks. I, then I thought about the Bachelor's role in that, right? Like mm-hmm. they could cast more women of color. They could. They could. They just had a phenomenal um, African American woman who was the Bachelorette, yes. Rachel Lindsay. But there has yet to be um, a black man as the Bachelor. Um, right. You know, I wondered how much she was prodded to say something by the producers and then I was also yeah. kind of like well also women of color rarely make it very far in in, in The Bachelor as well right. so I, this criticism or the, this acknowledgement of the lack of love stories that feature black women on a show that like stifles that yeah that was also that was I felt like she was sort of calling them out but it's not just that it's also in, of course of course you know popular movies yeah, it's media not, of course, of yeah course. but I just thought it was a little and he's it seems like he sort of grasped it but like didn't know how to respond to it so he's like I hope I can give you that love story that you never get to see about someone that looks like you it was so awkward it was and, and I, oh man speaking of awkward though that group date. I loved the group date. <laughs> Camp counselor Ari in the woods. Wears a button down and sort of like a teacher sweater over it. I was just like, this man is not. Get him in some Patagonia, some Columbia gear. I want to see him in the pants with this zip off at the knees and lots <laughs> yes, of pockets. Cargo. <laughs> you know, like a dad in training. <laughs> yes, yes. And I mean, I, I felt like they started off really strong by trying to do this sort of survival date where he started by drinking his own urine. <laughs> Which is <was> apple juice. <laughs> I really wanted it to be one of those, like, contraptions that you actually pee in and then you, like, drink out of it, but it ends up being water. I swear they have that for combat. Yeah, if you they, are a member have... of the armed services and are listening, please tell me that this exists because I swear I've heard about it. We can text one of my exes and bring him on. To answer yeah, that question. Totally. I want to know. Did you drink your own urine in Iraq? <laughs> I think it's a perfectly reasonable question. I decided after texting him yesterday during last night's episode that I wasn't going to text him again. So. <laughs> no tagging. 
Um, and then they quickly went to something even slightly more disgusting than drinking your own urine, arguably, which was eating live worms. And Kendall, the taxidermy girl, was a champ. Yeah, you know, she, you gotta believe that maybe she's snacking while she's stuffing some of those animals back in her, <laughs> in her lab or her workshop. I don't know. And Tia also got in on it. But, you know, some of that could have been a play for attention. I thought it was endearing because you see these women who are, you know, perfectly quaffed and all made up. Yeah, and... their perfect hair. Um, there was a bit of a hair incident on this date <laughs> where um, Barik, uh, the Indian Kim Kardashian, was apparently using the compass to like as a mirror to check her hair or something. And then Chelsea made a comment about it to Ari kind of as a joke. And then what happened at the very end? At the very end. So I love the kind of moment of zen that happens at the end of the episode. Because yes. it's always hilarious. And Marik confronts Chelsea and said something about, like, you were glam shaming me. I mean, glam shaming. She's like, this- just like there's slut shaming and fat shaming, you were glam shaming me for <laughs> fixing my hair. And my hair needed to be brushed. And Chelsea's response do you want to say it? Um, I don't believe I've ever. I'm not anti-glam. <laughs> She's like, I am not, nor have I ever been anti-glam. anti-glam. <laughs> but the best part was Marie brought the compass to try and prove that, that it couldn't did. be used as a mirror. Also, come on. These girls, the women, care what they look like. That's what the show, you have to care what you look like. That's what the show And I don't about. think Chelsea was particularly trying to glam shame. I mean, the, the whole thing was just like, this is how far they go to, you know, fight each other and create drama. But And speaking of fighting each other and creating drama, Crystal. Do your best Crystal impression. <sighs> hey. Mandy, like... I- <laughs> I would, but I'm not very good. <laughs> I like literally thought that was your impression. <laughs> that was my impression, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> she even, Chelsea had a great impression of her. She does. Last night. Like, she's there's this vocal fry and drawing things out, and then sometimes she's whispering. And I um, mean, I am hanging on her every word, but that's only because I can't hear it. <laughs> But then she says nothing of value, and she's probably one of the... There's always someone on each season who is extremely unaware of how they present themselves in a group. There always is. Yes. Not just amongst the women, but amongst men that are on The Bachelorette. And she just seems to be the person this season who doesn't know how she's perceived by others. Either that or she doesn't care. She thinks she's the front runner and she kind of likes to brag about this. You just have this like connection. But but then she gets really insecure as well, which like, you know, often just in general when you meet people who are really um, confident, sometimes that confidence is, is wavering on insecurity and it's overcompensating for something so what do you think she's overcompensating for like a lack of self-esteem yeah she's so insecure but she fixes that by like telling everyone that how great she is how great she is and how great the connection is and then complaining to Ari that all the other women in the house are being horrible which I don't do these women watch the show before they go on they do and the fact that they don't learn that you do not waste your precious time one-on-one with Ari to complain about other women on the show 
that will never, ever get you anywhere, you will eventually get kicked off. But I think some of them don't care about being in the final like few. They just want to use this as a chance to get on Bachelor in Paradise or launch their, you know, Instagram influencer account. Of course. And you could see it in Ari's face last night anytime anyone complained to him about yeah. how the other women in the house He's were treating so him. Over He's so it. over it. I mean And we saw something that I don't know if I had put my finger on it the last few episodes, but you called it resting bachelor face. <laughs> Can you describe resting yeah, bachelor face? It's like resting bitch face, but what the face was kind of what would the face convey? Convey blankness a little bit. So I, what's in Ari's head? <laughs> yeah, well, it's like what am I doing here, and how do I respond to this? But it just it just kind of says it all. It's like a cry for help on his face, and re- resting bachelor face is what I would call it. Yes. The final one-on-one date was with Becca, who babysitters club Becca. <laughs> she's 22, and Ari doesn't know she's 22, and Ari is 36 and completely unaware of their 14-year age gap. Well, he's like, I knew you were young. I just didn't know how young. That's kind of what he says. Yeah, but it's kind of awkward because they appear to have the most sort of chemistry initially. Not necessarily chemistry that would be made for a marriage, but at least for, like, dating. Yeah. You know? I don't know if I saw that, like, long-term, you know, if they once they got to know each other more, maybe it wouldn't work. Yeah. But this initial spark, I feel like he felt that with Becca. Oh, yeah. You can feel it watching it. It's and it's really kinetic. I mean, also, it's the... I think when Ari talks to Becca, and he's really turned on by her, and she's adventurous, she's a rock climber, she... Doesn't need him, but yeah. does need him yeah, all like, at the same time. <laughs> she said, he was like, the fact that you... She said something, not this episode, but the last episode. He... Or she said, like, you're turned on by the fact that... You love the fact that I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's like, yes, definitely. Yeah. So she reveals, and he seems really taken aback... And like as if he's going to send her home. And then he ends up giving her a rose. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she's 16. She's of age. Right. But I think he said he was going to proceed with caution. And I think they both are proceeding with caution. But it's going to be interesting because my guess is that the other women in the house think that the reason that she came back at the end of the date and got the rose was because she didn't reveal her age. Because they said that during this week, they're like, I think if she tells him her real age, she'll go home. But Mm -hmm. if she doesn't, she'll stay. So she stayed. And I'm wondering how many of them are going to continue this age drama, age shaming, (laughs) if you will. What's so weird about it is like, you know, again, this is drama created by the show, right? They cast a 22-year-old in in the midst of all these other 20-somethings who are younger than the 36-year-old bachelor. Uh, so, you know, they set up these, these situations yeah, yeah, exactly. I that mean, are going to create problems. What I would love to see is if they had cast like a gaggle of 36 year old women for him to choose from. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Right? I think that would be way more interesting. Um, and so at the end of the episode, you think that it's going to end up being a cliffhanger situation because there's only, you know, a certain number of minutes left and it doesn't feel like there's enough time for a cocktail ceremony and a rose ceremony. But Ari surprises everyone and cancels the cocktail. (gasps) 
Oh! <laughs> and says he knows who he wants to send home and he knows who he wants to keep. And so he's just going to do that. Uh, and the women are pretty shocked and go and get ready for the rose ceremony. And then Crystal pulls him aside one last time to plead her case. In the beginning of the rose ceremony. Yeah. It's like we're about to start even. the rose ceremony. And she's like, excuse me, I interrupted this ceremony. <laughs> and all the women are just waiting. They're just waiting around like, well, we don't get a chance to talk to him. Why do you? Um, and she didn't seem to say anything of significance. Which, you know, is in line with every other thing she's ever stated. <laughs> Which is not of significance. She just wanted to tell him that their connection was really strong, right? Like It was, I don't even remember. It was babbling. He got resting bachelor face. It was just, it wasn't pretty. And then at the end, he sent home, who did he send home? He sent home Brittany and Caroline. And my favorite thing about Brittany was that she's one of the few people who left the show on a positive note and didn't feel bad about herself or question herself when she she had left. a good she had a good goodbye. She, she was said, like, I'm you know, gonna find love. Yeah, she's know? like, this is just one chapter in my yeah. life, and I'm ready to move on to the next. And you know, I'm hopeful, and I really appreciated that. Now, the reason one of the reasons I think this could be is because there was no cocktail hour or reception. Mm. That they, it was earlier in the night, they weren't exhausted, they weren't drinking, they're kind of clear-headed, and I think if a lot of these women had been clear-headed with being sent home, maybe they would have better reactions than it being, you know, 5 a.m. and four glasses of wine in, but I still, props to Brittany T. for holding her own. Yeah. So that's about it for Bachelor Recap, and uh, later in the episode... We're going to be asking Lisa some questions about her life and what it's like to be a writer and editor of Soloish at the Washington Post. This week's Vanderpump Rules was absolutely epic. I mean epic. If you are not watching this show, you are doing life wrong and especially doing reality TV wrong. So let's get into it. So getting started, Peter takes Tom Sandoval, Tom Schwartz, and Jax to a Reiki master named Kelsey to align their chakras. And let's get one thing straight. It's not their chakras that need aligning. So they go around, are talking about some of the issues that they're having in their lives, and then Kelsey asks Jax, you know, how are you doing? And Jax proceeds to cry, which seems kind of sweet, but a little weird. Why are you crying now? And maybe not when you're apologizing to your girlfriend, Brittany, for cheating on her. So then Jax realizes no one's asked him how he's doing after the whole cheating situation that he got himself into. Jax, the reason no one's asking you how you're doing is because you're not paying a therapist to do that. You need to get a therapist. Anyways, so Jax seems pretty moved by this whole experience. But as soon as Kelsey leaves, he makes a kind of weird comment about how he'd love to move in with Kelsey. It's like, get off it, Jax. So... Cut to one of the best, most epic scenes in Vanderpump Rules history. 
Lala James and his BFF slash BF Logan are hanging out at a bar during the day doing shots. You know, totally normal LA stuff. And he tells Lala and Logan that him and his girlfriend Raquel are moving in together. (laughs) Then (laughs) the producers, God bless them, cut to a scene of him clearing out the bottom of her drawer in a corner of his apartment. And of course, Raquel thinks it's so sweet. It's like, if she's moving in with you, she needs more than half a drawer. She's a model. I'm sure she has tons of clothes. Anyways, so James wants his friends to be happy for him. And he asks, you know, do you have a problem with it? And Lala's like, no, you know, she makes a joke about how her and Logan last week at the See You Next Tuesday party, Raquel offered them part of her plate of pasta and they proceeded to eat the entire plate. Now that's kind of funny. I feel like all of us have been in the situation at some point where you're not really thinking, your friend offers you some of their food and before you know it, the food's all gone. <laughs> so it's funny. It's not meant any harm. I'm sure this plate of pasta did not cost that much money. I'm sure it was actually free because they all work there. Anyways, uh, James just flips out at this admission by Lala and says, you're a bitch. <laughs> Guys, I wish I could do a good James Kennedy accent, but I can't. And in two months from now, I'm having a friend and colleague on the episode who is from the UK, and we will make him do his best DJ James Kennedy. But for now, you're going to have to deal with me. So Lala is very bewildered by all of this and is like, James, what is triggering you? And James like, because you don't like my girlfriend. So Lala is completely dumbfounded at this point. And James just continues to pile on. You know, don't F with my bitch or I'll F with your fat, ugly man. Referring to Lala's boyfriend, Randall, who is kind of fat and ugly. But whatever, that's her choice. And at this point, everyone needs to get over Lala having a relationship with a guy who used to be married, who has children, and who has a lot of money. If she's cool with it, everyone else should be cool with it, especially her friends. And James is one of her closest friends. James continues, you know, he's going to get bored of you and he's going to go on to the next young, pretty blonde if you want the truth, which, by the way, she never asked for. And Lala's like, you cannot say whatever the hell you want. Learn your place. Like, life is going to come at you quick. And one day you'll look over and I won't be there anymore as your friend. So you just need to learn how to talk to people who are your friends. And she storms out. So James thinks she's being dramatic, please. And Logan's like, James, run after her. Are you kidding? So Lala's outside, presumably getting an Uber. And James approaches her and is kind of sort of apologizing, but not really. And she's like, I told you that I ate Raquel's pasta and that's how you come for me. Like, stop coming for people who have your back. And this is true. Lala has always had James Kennedy's back. Even when everyone else was shitting on him, everyone else was rooting for him to fail. She was always there. So... He just completely has a mental breakdown and is like, it's not about the pasta. (laughs) It's about you respecting my girlfriend. 
right? Ugh. And he's wondering, you know, how could he expect to respect Lala's boyfriend, Randall, when she doesn't respect his girlfriend, which, by the way, we've never had any indication that Lala doesn't respect Raquel. So Lala has had it. She gets in the Uber, says, don't talk to me. By the end of Gay Pride, they have made up. She has set boundaries for James and says, you cannot speak to me this way. I need to feel safe with you. And James agrees and apologizes and, you know, they move forward. Now we move on to Sheena, who is not moving forward. Oh, Sheena is just rehashing this rumor or situation where her boyfriend Rob made out with another girl and just keeps talking about it and bringing it up and I don't think anyone else cares. She's obsessing over it and talking about how Katie is the one who started the rumor and Stassi and Kristen made it so much worse by adding details. You know, Sheena's complaining about how she introduced Rob to the group and, you know, now he has to deal with all this drama and he doesn't have time for that drama. Girl, please. If he's dating you, he certainly has time for drama. So Sheena is complaining, saying, I'm not happy anymore. And they, that being Stassi, Katie, and Kristen, took that from me. They took away my happiness. They took away my smile. A word for anyone listening. No one can take away your happiness or your smile. Situations can do that, and you can do that to yourself. But don't blame other people for you not being happy. It's just not a good look. So Brittany, being a good friend and a good person, points out that Sheena's being a bit hypocritical and that, you know, you were also talking about Katie, you know, and and her husband, Tom Schwartz, kissing a girl. And so between Tom Schwartz kissing a girl that's not his wife and Rob kissing a girl that's not his girlfriend, Sheena, maybe these women should stop being upset with each other and take it out on the people who created the problem their boyfriends and husband. Oh, so Brittany points out that if the rumor's not true, then why is Sheena letting it upset her? And of course, Sheena storms off because she can't handle the situation. Later, Sheena has kind of a meltdown. Lisa Vanderpump makes her eat a sandwich because apparently she hasn't been eating for a week. And Rob comes by and gives her a hug. And all of a sudden, she says she's happy. As long as he's happy. Ugh, I just can't with Sheena. Now, the episode ends with some foreshadowing to next week. We see the awkward dynamics between James and Logan, who's his best friend forever, but also seems a bit like a boyfriend, where they kiss each other on the cheeks and tell each other how much they love each other and how much they mean to each other. And Logan is openly gay and James is not. And James has a girlfriend, Raquel. So the whole thing is a bit odd. So Raquel kind of seems to look as if she's left out when she's hanging out with James and his friend Logan. And I would feel left out too. And I'd be questioning a bit too. But there was a bomb dropped at the end of the episode when James says, you know, do I think you're in love with me? Absolutely. To his friend, Logan. To which Logan responds, you're in love with me also. Basically calling it out as if him and James are having some sort of 
love affair in front of James's girlfriend who's getting ready to move into James's apartment with the one bottom drawer. Anyways, it's pretty crazy. And the episode ends with, oh, epic. Kristen, back to her old scheming ways, invites Brittany's mom, Sherry Cartwright, to come to LA and to face Jax head on and ask why Jax, her daughter's boyfriend, has been unfaithful. And as Kristen says, if her mom can't get through to her, then nobody can. So this is Kristen's way of trying to break up Brittany and Jax, but covering it up as doing something really nice for Brittany by flying her mom out to LA. Ooh, girl, you are on. This is fantastic television and a really good idea. As a friend, as someone who's concerned about Brittany, I think it's great. So moving on to Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. This week, we get the Dorit Apology Tour for all the people that she has wronged thus far on the season. Teddy decides to throw a glam circle party, which is just really a spa party where you actually bring your estheticians to your home so they can give massages and facials to your friends. So at this party, Teddy asks Dorit to come 15, 30 minutes early so they can chat about Lightgate. I think Teddy's been pretty reasonable about this situation. She's not just upset that Dorit was late, but she's more annoyed that Dorit decided to rehash the story with Kyle Richards and Lisa Vanderpump, kind of just not letting it die. So she tells Dorit this, and Dorit just comes into this spa glam circle party, just fully lit. She is totally on fire, not in a good way. She's angry. She's frustrated. She's not making a whole lot of sense. And she just, every time they try and end late gate, she keeps bringing it up to somebody else. She also keeps throwing these weird little digs at Teddy about how she was served wine in a champagne fluke, or she was served champagne in a wine glass. I can't remember which one it was, but she won't really let it go. I think by the end, everyone's been exhausted and decides and forces Dorit to stop talking about this late gate situation, but we'll see. She also, Dorit, decides to apologize to Camille Grammer for calling her a stupid C-word at a party that Kyle Richards threw, where Camille brought her boyfriend around this group of women for the first time. Clearly, it was a ridiculous thing of Dorit to say. She said multiple other offensive things that night, a lot of them geared towards Camille, and Camille was very gracious in accepting Dorit's apology, but I don't think they're going to be friends anytime soon. Now, one of the reasons I think Dorit was so revved up is because PK's 50th birthday is coming up, and she wants to get him a gift. And her and Erica decide to go to this super fancy car dealership called Pagani, and apparently this model of car, there are only 25 to 30 Paganis in the United States. Each is worth about $3 million. 
Which makes me think that there's no way Dorit's actually interested in buying this car, but she's probably friends with the owner of the dealership and agreed to get them a spot on the TV show. Needless to say, it made for great television with Dorit and Erica going on a test drive of a Pagani where Dorit is going really fast and says that she's turned on by the car and Erica jokes that the Pagani blows away her Lamborghini. These women. But this is the kind of wealth that I like to see on Real Housewives. It is fun to watch them drive these crazy cars. I don't really care about cars, but it's fun to watch rich people behave ridiculously. Now, the other thing we get a chance to learn a bit more about on this episode is the situation with Vanderpump Dogs and the lawsuit that Lisa and Ken are currently dealing with. It sounds like they wanted to get involved in a current rescue operation for dogs instead of starting their own charity. So they found a rescue shelter and decided to go into business or partnership with the owner of that shelter. At some point, Ken Todd, Lisa Vanderpump's husband, decides that something's off with the shelter, with the owner, and after putting $40,000 into this, decides, you know what, it's not worth it. We should get out while we can. And so they're being sued by the owner of that shelter who said that Ken reneged on their partnership. What was not mentioned was the fact that the lawsuit also alleges that Ken physically assaulted the owner of this dog rescue place. A ridiculous assertion for anyone who has laid eyes on Ken Todd or watched him on reality TV for the last 10 years on at least two shows. He's one of the most docile men ever, doesn't seem to get very angry, and in the opening scene of this week's episode has a little puppy the size of someone's hand cupped in his button-down shirt and decides to fall asleep in his shirt. This man loves dogs, and I cannot imagine him pulling out of a dog rescue operation unless something was very, very wrong. Of course, Lisa Vanderpump is really unhappy that this was mentioned by Lisa Rinna, but as both of them rightly you know, decided to point out, all this information is in the press. It's in TMC, it's on page six, so it is for public consumption. Is it classy for Rinna to bring it up? No, but we're not exactly into class here on Real Housewives. Now, next week's episode is going to feature PK's birthday. Uh, PK is Dorit's disgusting husband who is British and obnoxious and apparently manages Boy George. Uh, Yeah. So I have no idea where they really get their money from, and I'm a little worried that they're fronting how much that they actually have. Needless to say, I am here for it, and I cannot wait to see this party, which I think is going to be on some sort of a yacht-slash-cruise ship, and Dorit is flying in PK's family from London, and her and PK are taking a helicopter to land on the boat where the party is. 
Wow. I'm very excited to see it, and I hope there's a bit more drama than we saw on this episode, and that late gate is finally put to rest. So now I want to do a very quick recap of Summer House, which is a show about, I think, eight housemates who live in New York City in different apartments, but in the summer rent a place together in the Hamptons. This is the second season, and there are many returning cast members, but also a few new ones. So you've got Lauren Workus, who is part of the Lauren and Ashley Workus twins. But this year, Ashley is not on the show, or at least she's not in the beginning, because she has moved back to California to be with her husband, Brad. So Lauren brings a blow-up doll of her twin sister, Ashley, to claim one of the rooms. Of course, the master bedroom. She says that because she had the master last year, she deserves to get the master this year. But we'll get into that in just a bit. We've also got the self-proclaimed king of Summer House, Kyle, and his girlfriend, Amanda, who he was on again, off again with all last summer. And we've got Lindsay returning, but without her boyfriend, Everett. After moving in together, In New York City, they broke up in March, and she has returned to the house single, Sans Everett. Then we've got Carl, who it turns out dated Lauren after the show stopped filming into about January of the new year. And he sounds like he wasn't the greatest boyfriend, he was not faithful, and he seems to have acquired a massive drinking problem. And last but not least, everyone's favorite, Stephen McGee, the wonderful gay man who is from a conservative town and family in Alabama, but moved to New York City when he was 19, and he is just awesome and provides hilarious commentary. Now, the new people are a girl named Danielle, who is one of Carl's exes, but seems to have her head on straight and also acknowledges that he was a terrible boyfriend, something her her and Lauren bond over in this episode. And then there's some guy named Amit, who apparently Carl met at Coachella this year. He has no personality. I have no idea why he's on the show. It makes no sense, and it looks just from the beginning of things like a terrible casting decision by Bravo. So this year's house seems to be bigger and better than before, but that's probably because it's an hour inland away from Montauk, which is where they were last time and is a bit more sought after real estate. But the new house has what looks like a better pool and even tennis courts. So the biggest deal this episode is who's staying in which room. As soon as someone arrives, they try and stake out a room which Kyle says is some sort of half-assed game of capture the flag. And the first night, they have a dinner party that Stephen puts together, but it kind of ends in disarray because of Carl's drunken antics. The next day, they go to a polo match, where Lindsay decides to flirt with some polo player and get on his horse. Danielle and Lauren have a conversation about how awful it is to date Carl, and... Then the show ends with 
Stephen and Lauren and Carl going back early to New York City for gay pride, which is a really big deal for Stephen because he says that while he's out of the closet, he's still in the changing room. He hasn't fully embraced every aspect of what he thinks it means to be gay, particularly because the difficulties he's facing with his family, who lives in Alabama and are very religious and conservative. And he says that, you know, for the first 18 years of his life, he was the only gay person that he knew, which I cannot even imagine what it must feel like to be that alone. And so Lauren is there by his side. They're enjoying gay pride. Carl, of course, is late and shows up very drunk. And then instead of hanging out with Lauren and Stephen, spends most of the time with his shirt off dancing with drag queens, which sounds like a great time for gay pride, but he's supposed to be there to support his friend Stephen and seems kind of unaware of how to be a good friend or more likely he just doesn't care. So that's your recap for Vanderpump, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and Summer House. And now we're going to get into a little interview with this week's guest, Lisa Bonos. So back with Lisa, who is a, the creator of Solo-ish, a Washington Post blog about single life. So can you take me back to Solo-ish's kind of inception, creation? Yeah. How did this happen? Sure. Well, it kind of begins in 2003 when I had, <laughs> no, really, when I was in college and I was had like a bad um, summer relationship and I, wrote, I was watching a lot of contemporary sex in the city because it was, you know, on back then. then. Yeah. And I was working for the student newspaper and I had a friend who suggested that I write up a column about this kind of not-so-great relationship. And I pitched it to my editor. I was the copy chief then, so I had this serious, newsy job. And I said, I want to write a dating column. The editor kind of laughed, and then he read my sample column, and he said, yeah, let's do this. And so in college, I had this dating column while I was doing other things at the newspaper. And then at the Washington Post... And then I got an internship at the Washington Post after I graduated. And I was an, a copy editor on the business desk, again, doing like serious stuff. And <laughs> was going to leave the dating writing behind because that wasn't important journalism. And almost like a decade into my career at the Post, I'd done a bunch of things. I was an editor on the business desk. I was on the as an editor on the opinion desk, two different opinion desks for a time. And I had... Um, a mentor who asked me, like, what do you really want to do here? And I was writing about dating occasionally, you know, pieces here and there. Yeah, just, like, you know, dip, dipping your toes back in. Yeah, I couldn't really, like, leave it behind. And he said to me, do you want to write a dating blog? And I thought about it, and I came back the next day, and I was like, no, I want to write a singles blog because being single is not just dating. There's all sorts of other things going on. That uh, is so true. That is so true. Yeah. So I wrote up this proposal. Actually, it was around this time of year in 2014. Okay. It's kind of cold. I spent a long weekend holed up in my apartment, like a three-day weekend, just like writing this memo about what I wanted 
soloist. Yeah. What would eventually become soloist. I called it single-minded on my memo, which Mm -hmm. was a name that I was really attached to. And then later had to give up. Yeah. Our legal department ran it. And there's some other website out there called like single-minded women or something. Also, it's kind of boring. Like soloist is super fun. It's creating a new word for what it means to, to be, be single. single. Yeah. You're sort of you're you're on your own, but you're not really on your own. Exactly. You've got your friends, you've got your family, you've got occasional people that you date and are involved Pets, with. Maybe. Yes. Um yeah, no, our tagline is unmarried but far from alone. Um, <laughs> so that that was the idea. And I pitched it in 2014 and the top editors of the Post finally said yes in 2015, and we scrambled really hard to get it up and running real quickly after I got the okay, and we've been going for about two and a half years now, and it's super fun. <laughs> a lot so of hard awesome. work. So do people come and ask you dating advice all the all time? All the time. All the time. So last night when we were watching The Bachelor, yes, I'm getting texts from a colleague who asks, like, what do you have any date first date ideas that are not dive bars because I'm going out with this girl who I don't think is into dive bars but that's like what he's into right so I start giving some suggestions and then so what are your suggestions well I thought he was going in DC so I I think I mentioned bar Charlie which is a place that I like that's like kind of a cozy bar but the and the cocktails are really like a cocktail bar what about for someone who doesn't drink or if you want to go on a date that's not drinking and not coffee is there anything oh yeah I just went bowling I went on a second date we went bowling I love that I we were, we were drinking, but it is possible to bowl without drinking. <laughs> is it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what a fun date, you know? I fun. like active dates. <laughs> so, how, I mean, there's been a lot of changes lately in journalism and in media and how it's consumed and the print media. And how, like, do you see things changing? for not just for your column in the Washington Post, but for how maybe millennials consume media. Yeah, so we millennials don't often go to homepages like WashingtonPost.com. I mean, I'm a millennial and I do, but I'm an old millennial. Yeah, we're old millennials. (laughs) We're at the tail end. We are finding our ways to stories via social media. There's not a lot of loyalty to certain brands or publishing outlets, right? And the Washington Post has tightened its paywall. So if you're not subscribing to a digital subscription, it's hard to read a lot of it. So um, that's changing. But also the past several years since Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, bought the Washington Post, he has pushed the Post to be authoritative and a like a good source on all sorts of topics beyond politics and government and mm-hmm. local news here. And that my push for solo, which was part of that. He wanted to get everybody else who wasn't already coming to the Washington Post for their news. So right. A lot so of like the- bachelor recaps. <laughs> exactly. Not something we used to do. And now I'm doing them. So if you could change anything about The Bachelor, like if you were an executive producer. Ooh, good question, what Mandy. What would you change? If it could I be were a long Yes. Yes. 
Okay, multiple things. I would start with casting older women. Yeah. Older, like just like in their Normal. 30s. Yeah. In their 30s and 40s. Like we were, somebody said last night when we were watching that, was it you who said I would love to see Chris Harrison on this show? Yes. He's, he's divorced now. Yeah. And I would like to see a bunch of middle-aged women going after him. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting. Just because you're older than 22 doesn't mean you're one, not attractive. And two, I actually think you're more interesting the younger you are, the less life experience you have. Totally. So it's not as interesting to watch. I mean, even think about the dates that you're going on now versus 10 years ago. People are... <laughs> 10 years ago, oh my God. <laughs> people are more secure. Sad state of affairs. Yeah, people are more secure in their careers. Even when I go out with somebody where maybe you don't click, most of the time they're still interesting. And we yeah. can still talk about things. There's maturity there. I think you'd have less... The, the storylines would be... Different. different and it wouldn't yeah. just be all of this youthful insecurity and lack of self-awareness and um I don't know I think some of that would still be there right yeah because uh, everyone has insecurities but it's how they're portrayed and the competitiveness and also just there seems to be such an emphasis on a certain kind of look I mean would you want to change that at all um well, you mean like a, a woman who shows up to the cock, to the rose like, ceremony? I don't know. Everyone's jeans? yeah. I don't know. Everyone's white. Everyone has long yeah. hair. I mean, the only thing that stands out about Becca in the beginning is that she has yeah, short, short hair. hair. Yeah. I mean, it's. it's I think the, the SNL made there's fun like of a that this yeah weekend. they yeah. they had a great skit. Mm, All the different I Lawrence. Like this. Yeah. <laughs> tell me about yourself. <laughs> Um, you know, I think I have, I may have, have I used the tell me about yourself line on a real date? I don't know. Um, yes, definitely more diverse. I mean, the hard thing I think with finding more interesting people who are doing cool things with their lives is they don't necessarily have two months to take off exactly. to go do this thing. Right? But what if they, I don't know, I wonder if producers could like do more to, I don't know. They totally recruit. Could. I they feel totally like they could. go after people who live in LA and, Nashville. you know, yeah. Exactly, where the Bachelor Bachelor franchise is strong. So one interesting thing is uh, Parker Schaffel, who was on episode one um, of this podcast, was interviewed by some producers to be on a game show about a year and a half, two years ago, and he got pretty far but didn't make it. And those same producers reached out to him this weekend and here is the email. It says, hey, Parker, I'm casting again, but this time looking for singles who want to find love. The producers of ABC's The Bachelor and Bachelorette are bringing a groundbreaking dating show to find the love of your life in just one night. Oh, my God. That sounds horrible. <laughs> and filming would take place sometime in the spring of 2018 in L.A. We will cover all flights and hotels. So even if you don't find your perfect match, you'll still get a free trip to Los Angeles. Can't lose. If you're not single, forward this to your single friends. And they will thank you. So, Lisa, I'm wondering, are you interested? Well, are you interested? Are we doing this together? Oh, I am not interested in going to LA in the spring. <laughs> I mean, I, I love Los Angeles. I went to school at UCLA. Mm-hmm. I'm totally down. You, I think you would be perfect. I don't know if it's called anything. It's just that now casting single people nationwide who are tired of wasting their time on dating apps and ready for one night of romance, intrigue, and a potential perfect match. 
So I, I don't know if anyone is listening, um, please message me for details. <laughs> I've got the deets. Uh, Parker wrote back. Yeah. So in the last two years since we spoke, I got married. Um, so off the market, but we'll definitely forward it to some people. He thinks I should do it. I'm not very interested. But Did I you write my like letter of rec. Yes, and I will work with you on an application. Sure, I think this why would not? be so sure, fun. What could, a project! At the very least, I could write about it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be such an experience. What about that one where they're naked in the woods? Are you gonna naked do that? and afraid? <laughs> yes, I watched a bunch of. Considering I'm uncomfortable going on television, I'm not sure how I'd be no, no, comfortable no, going on. Are you gonna do an episode about naked and afraid? Oh, maybe. That would be my least favorite reality show, though. And would you conduct the interview naked with your host or with your guest? I don't think so. I feel like that's so awkward. But who knows? Never say never. (laughs) (laughs) Naked and not afraid. (laughs) If you can find me someone to interview from Naked and Afraid... That will be our next project. I'll get naked and afraid, and you get on this new reality show of One Night of Love. Deal. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, so much for joining. Thanks for having me. So that concludes episode four of Is This Real Life? Thank you so much for joining. Please be sure to subscribe on either iTunes or SoundCloud and follow on social media at ITRL underscore podcast. See you next week. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.